Welcome to the Dumb Idea Podcast Show with Mike and Alex. We thank you for joining us as we have a couple of beers and a cigar and talk about what's going on in our lives. Grab an adult beverage and a smoke and settle in with us. Please like, subscribe, and comment on each show so we can hear whether you agree or disagree with our take on things. Listen wherever your favorite podcasts are and at www.dumbideapodcast.com. Welcome to the show. This is uh, Alex, and I'm going to do the show uh, solo today, and for good reason, though. Um, Mike, this is a, I want to say congratulations to Mike. He um, he got a promotion at his job, well-earned, well-deserved, so I want to say congratulations to him. Um, it was a long time coming <clears throat> for him, uh, and he worked really hard for this. Um, so if there's ever a good reason to, to miss a show. This is, this is one of them, uh, just cause he's getting his affairs in order, um, as he's starting the new job, but he'll be back in the next one. Um, but it also goes to, you know, when, when good things happen to, um, people that you're close to, or, uh, you know, just in your life in general, um, it, it's, it's, it not only makes the person who it's happening to feel good, it makes the people around him or them feel good because they see the amount of work that goes into uh, the end result. Um, now this, of course, this isn't the, the case for everyone, right? Some people, good things happen to them and the people around them, you know, feel resentful for whatever reason. But you know, in, in my mindset, and at least the people that I'm surrounded with, someone else's success isn't, um, another or your own failures. It, it it's not a keeping up with the Joneses um, for this good thing uh, to happen to Mike. Um, not that it, obviously not that I got a promotion too, but I feel good about it. Like it feels good for me um, that this happened to a good friend of mine. Um, someone who I see on a, on a weekly basis, uh, you know, more than a weekly basis, um, uh, I saw the work that he put into it, the sacrifices he made. And when he finally got the call that it was going to happen, um, it, it was some excitement from me for him. Um, again, not that it was my accomplishment, but you know, I, I feel great for him that he, he's able to, um, uh, live that, that experience that he's getting. Um, even if it's not going to happen exactly the way he wanted it to, the end result is the same in that, uh, it's great for him and his family. Um, so a big congratulations to Mike. Um, as far as this show, what's it gonna, how's it gonna go? Right? Well, I don't even know. I'm kind of winging it here. Um, got a few different topics written down that, you know, trying to go through. Some a little bit more serious than others. At the end of the show, though, um, I want to try and hit on some fantasy football stuff. It's a little um, side hobby of mine that I like to do uh, in a couple fantasy football leagues. One uh, with just a close group of friends. Another one with another group of friends that's a little bit more on the pace side. And then, of course, we do a, a FanDuel league as well um, with friends. Um, so a little bit of a hobby of mine. Uh, and I'll get into some of that at the end of the show. Um, 
first topic I want to talk about, though, um, some of you might have heard that Apple uh, is now able to scan your photos on your uh, iPhone or iCloud. Um, and Apple says that they're looking for um, pictures of children in compromising positions. Label it what you want. Um, and they're framing it in such a way that everyone can get on board with that, right? No one, no one wants children to be in compromising situations or being taken advantage of. Uh, it's, it's something that you can kind of get you universally get behind. It's kind of like when, you know, Congress, they, they pass a uh, for the voters, uh, bill, right? Who, who's, who's against the voters, right? Nobody wants to be against the voters. So by naming, by, by framing what this is in a way to try and get everybody on board. Um, I think some people might be glossing over what this is or what it could lead to. Now let's say Apple is really, you now they're very altruistic, right? Uh, they're just going to look for uh, the photos of children in compromising positions. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like they're scanning for a certain photo, right? They're not scanning photos for a picture of the Mona Lisa to find out where a stolen Mona Lisa is because someone took a photo of it on their phone. They're, they're scanning it, the photo, and then analyzing it. And if it meets a certain amount of criteria then the photo gets flagged and then further investigation gets done. If it's used just for those purposes, I don't think anyone's going to be upset. Um, I'm sure there's going to have to be some false positives. For example, like, you know, you know when, when parents take, uh, you know, cute pictures of their kids when they're in the bathtub or something and so on their phone, you know, is that going to be considered, the child in a compromising position. I mean, when they got like the, the bubble hat or the bubble beard, you know, cause the kids like to play with the bubbles and yeah, you know, like my kid likes to, you know, put on a bubble beard cause daddy's got a beard, right? Well, you know, if my wife takes a picture of that, is that going to raise some red flags with the Apple scan? Um, or what about when you take pictures of, you know, your kids and their friends at the pool cause they want a picture of, of them and their friends at the pool. Is that a compromising photo? I'm sure there's going to have to be some false positives along the way, and Apple will have to fine-tune it. But what happens when, if Apple uses this for other nefarious reasons? Like, what if someone's taking pictures of handguns and drugs, and Apple scans it, and they see it's handguns and drugs that may or may not be illegal, are they going to turn that information over to the authorities? Is that what it's also going to be used for? And I don't think that any one of us right now will know the answer to that until it happens. And yeah, it's one of those things where should we just trust Apple? Should we trust the government to do the right thing? Uh, and what is the right thing in that case? Right. Um, I remember a long time ago, there was a homicide case where the U.S. government wanted Apple to unlock a phone, and Apple said no. Now, the government found a way around it, and they got on the phone anyway, so it became a moot point. But at that time, Apple was kind of hailed as the privacy king 
among phone and handset users because they had denied the government access to that phone uh, or they weren't giving them the keys to get in. Now, were, were there some back back room handshakes where they got them in? I don't know. But on the appearance of things, they did not give up the keys to the phone um, as the government wanted them to. You can, and I guess the another situation was, you know, when Ed, Edward Snowden kind of outed the whole um, surveillance part of the Patriot Act, I believe that's what he was outing, and, the, and that the NSA or CIA could, you know, tap into your phone camera and microphone and listen into your conversations or they could turn on your microphone and, and, and peer in on you uh, without you even knowing. Now, that's why to this day, Mark Zuckerberg puts uh, tape over the camera of his laptop. Yeah, I'm sh- and I'm pretty sure he's probably got his phone and um, and device cameras blocked with tape as well. Um, it's a slippery slope to go down. You know, are the rare occurrences when they catch people with children in compromising positions... Uh, is it worth it for that moment or for those moments for others to give up their privacy? And I know a lot of people say, well, look, you don't need to buy an Apple phone. That's right. I mean, you don't. But in the handset and the smartphone world, there's really only two players. It's it's Apple and Google. Google operates the Android operating system on all other handsets for the most part. And And there's a few others that are coming out. Um, that are not connected. But once you download, for example, with Google, once you download, uh, if you download Gmail or Google Calendar or Google Contacts onto like the Pine phone, which is not an Android-based phone, uh, Google now has access to your phone via the apps anyway. Um, So there might not really be a way to get around the surveillance on your phone. And Edward Snowden... Yeah, the guy is still in Russia because he brought this up. He's still not allowed back in the United States because the political elites here consider him to be treasonous for even outing the program. When the government was the was the entity on hand that was spying on you to begin with, without you knowing. Um and you know, the argument becomes should we give up some liberties for additional safety or so-called safety. And I think that's another slippery slope and I'm not one to answer that. You know, I'm just a person with opinions um, and a microphone. So take it for what it's worth. Um, given corporate and government past, are they really, can anyone really say they 100% trust either? Right especially corporations, corporations given the chance, very few of them have ever done the right thing by workers or, or by customers for that matter. In every corporate ethos, the, the overarching goal is to maximize shareholder wealth. That's it. There's no other goal of a CEO of a corporation, maximize shareholder wealth. And that doesn't include doing right by the customers. Now, on the occasion, does it? Sure. 
Um, but they are not necessarily intertwined. They can, they can be mutually exclusive, right? Um, so that, that's a, it's a tricky, tricky topic. Um, how, how willing are you? And there's a lot of people out there with iPhones. I know that 60% of the people that listen to this podcast, listen through an iPhone. They listen through Apple podcasts. How do you feel about Apple having the ability to scan your photos? I mean, these photos in everyday life, people are taking photos and they're private to them. You know, don't get me wrong. They're not all, they're not serious photos. I mean, not all of them are serious photos. A lot of times you take a picture of your kids playing or, yeah, if you got a funny meme that you downloaded on your phone that goes to your photo stash, um, what, what happens if someone doesn't like a meme that you've downloaded and, and that goes into your photos? That's where they're stored. Like when you download a meme or a GIF or GIF or whatever people call that nonsense, um, it goes and gets stored where your photos get stored. And that's what Apple's going to be scanning. What happens if they find a, a meme that is, is uh, disturbing to somebody or whoever's doing the scanning or Apple themselves, or you know, what if it espouses a government, you know, an anti-government message? And Apple passes it on to the government. Do you now become a target of a government entity? Um, and don't get me wrong. A lot of this is hypothetical, right? But, you know, 20 years ago, when the or maybe 19 years ago when the Patriot Act was passed, did anyone actually think that the government agencies would be turning on the cameras, the smartphones of U.S. citizens without them knowing? Or listening in on conversations without American citizens knowing? Without need for probable cause? I think a lot of people have forgotten what Edward Snowden was kind of bringing out. Uh, or the information he was trying to share. Um, and so when a company, a big company like this, one that's kind of hard to get away from. I mean, like I said, there's only really two companies that you really get phones from, Apple and Google. No, don't get me wrong. I mean, Google does it in a different way than Apple does. Apple's proprietary hardware, proprietary software on that hardware, and that's it. Where <clears throat> Google does it where they license the software to all the other handset makers. Um, so like Google makes a Pixel, which has Android, but they also were licensing it to LG or Motorola. Um and Android operates on that with Google as the backbone. And these devices all have callbacks to the to Google servers. Um so it, it, even so even like a Samsung, the 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 data on that phone is going to Google servers. I mean it's in part how, what makes the phone great, right? It, it, that's the services you want on that phone in order to make that happen, you know, the the phone has got to ping the main servers to get the information that everything's stored on so that it can update your phone. Uh, I, I think that 
if we give up too much of our civil liberties, and I understand that a phone might not be a civil liberty, but or even niceties, right? It would be nice if someone wasn't taking advantage of the people that use these products. We are the product, essentially. I mean, the phone is in our hands, but we're the product. Our data is the product. That's what these companies sell. Facebook sells your data. Yeah, that They can charge more for their ads on their platform because they can target exactly who the company wants to target. They can, If they want to target 18 to 20-year-olds in Iowa, Facebook can make that happen for them. Yeah, if they want to target yeah, 18, 18 to 19 year olds who only listen to Dave Matthews band on a continuous loop on their phone, Facebook has that data. They can target those people with those ads. And yes, it does get that granular. That's the kind of information Facebook has. Google has Amazon to an extent has Apple has all that information. You are the commodity. Now, for the most part, I think most people are fine with that. They're fine with being the commodity. They're, look, if I'm going to get ads on my phone, why shouldn't it be for things that I'm most likely going to buy or, or things I'm going to most likely be interested in? I'm not really all that upset about that. It's when it gets taken too far. When they're turning on my camera on my phone, turning on my microphone on my phone or my laptop or even turning on the camera on my laptop. You know, that's when for me, it goes too far. Will it catch criminals and people doing bad things once in a while? Sure. I don't doubt that, but I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze for how few criminals they're probably going to get. Right. A lot of times when, when they go after these people harassing children or doing bad things to children, you know, it takes it's months and months of sting operations. That's that's how that work is done. Now, will something like this Apple scanning, scanning photos, will that reduce the time to get to that person? It's possible. It's possible. But, you know, I think it's very unlikely, though. Very unlikely. Um, but that's my, I mean, that's my opinion on that. It, it's... Um, I try not to get too crazy into thinking that, oh my God, everyone's spying on you. For the most part, you know, and the, the argument is, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, no one's spying on you. No one's trying, no one's looking for you. Okay. You know, I, I understand that. Yeah. What, what if they are able to, what if they just catch you speeding because the, of the GPS on your phone or running a red light or going through a stop sign? Yeah, it, right. Th- those aren't great. Th- those aren't the right things. Or yeah, you shouldn't be doing those things. But should your phone be used to be able to catch you when you do those things? Those minor things. It, you know, and think about it on that level. Think about it as far as whether or, do you always do the right thing every time of every point in the day? And I. It, the answer to that is no. Nobody does. Nobody gets it right 100% of the time. Um, 
it's a it's a, it's a very it's a very difficult topic, very slippery slope for for a company like Apple to go down, especially when they're touting themselves as the privacy king in the mobile sector, right? So let me know what you think about that in the comments. Do you think Apple's going too far? Do you think that's where we're going? Um, or are you one of the people who say, hey, at least they're letting you know they're doing it. But at least they did that for you. Uh, put 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 that in the comments if, if that's what you think. And um, but moving on, moving on to another privacy topic. Right, everyone knows about the car shortage. GM, Ford, even Toyota at this point have idled plants in the in North America, uh, and even worldwide, because. These car companies, they, they, they have plenty of materials to build the cars, except they're missing the one piece that makes it all work together, and that's the, the uh, central processing unit. Basically, uh, they call them chips, right? Well, on that chip is the central processing unit that pretty much can run all the systems in the car. Make sure your engine's got the right amount of gas in it. Uh, oxygen sensors are working properly. Uh, Things on your radio work properly. Uh, Bluetooth. Uh, basically, it's just the it's the brains of your car essentially at this point. And every single car out on the road at, uh, in these days has one. Um, <clears throat> because they don't have the chips, they can't deliver cars. So they just basically said, I think Ford at one point was using a local racetrack to store cars or trucks that they couldn't deliver because they didn't have the chips in there. And then they even thought about, should we deliver the trucks and have dealers install the chips? And I think dealers were not happy about that. So I don't think they decided to go along with that, but essentially they got a whole bunch of trucks out there and cars out there with no chips, just sitting waiting to be delivered once they get the chips. Um, And this is across multiple car brands. But what no one's really talking about is what is the downside of, having these chips in these cars. And I think 60 minutes kind of did an expose. I want to say a couple years ago, must've been five years ago where they showed, I think it was a Hyundai Sonata and they showed how a guy was sitting in the car with a laptop and was able to start the car and get the car driving. Like he basically just overrode the person in the driver's seat. To me, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. What if someone... And I know this is kind of getting conspiratorial. A little bit, a little bit of sci-fi action here. A little bit, a little bit on the fast and furious dangerous side, right? Where someone's following a car or just on the highway following another car. They don't know that person. Don't know him at all, but they know someone it's coming the other way on the other side of the road, a little two lane road, right? And what if the person in the chase car says, puts in the command code after they've linked up to that car in front of them to make a sharp left in front of the other car causing the accident. That's crazy to me. Should these chips in these cars 
be allowed. Now, the most common use for these things, for criminals, would be to steal cars, right? You unlock the door, get in. You don't have to hotwire it anymore. You just got to type in a code. Car starts and you're driving off. Easy way to steal a car. But even so, that's really dangerous to have out there, isn't it? Should we be putting these chips, these computer chips in the car that control everything? That's uh, an interesting point while we're talking about these chips and how the reason why these cars can't be delivered. Adding on to that, though, let's talk about the car industry in general. Everyone knows car prices are, are through the roof right now. Used car prices, and new car prices haven't shot up as much. The difference is, is that dealers can charge MSRP or even some of them are charging above MSRP. Um, and the, the factories, the manufacturers don't have to offer discounts on these cars. Now, you can look at this a, a couple different ways. One, I, I don't think this is going away anytime soon just because the chips for the cars, for the new cars, it's they're, they're not scheduled to be on track until 2022 before manufacturing is back up to speed. A lot of that has to do with Foxconn and Taiwan. They're building another facility to create, to add more chip capacity or manufacturing capacity. Uh, you can't set it up overnight. Um, but if there's, if there's no relief in sight for the supply of cars, that means the price of cars is going to stay somewhat high. And even on the used side, in that case, what, what are people supposed to do that need a car right now? Yeah, I was in this position. So roughly, I believe May, April or May of this year, I had a car, an engine went out, and I needed another car. Now, luckily, I was able to pick up a car at under MSRP because Chevrolet was trying to get rid of last year's models of Chevy Equinoxes. They were they had a refresh version of it coming out for 2022. I was able to snag a 2021, and by the looks of half the cars I see on the road, other people took them up on this too. It's funny when you buy a car, you tend to see it 10 times more than you ever did before. But it seems like a lot of people right now in my area are driving Chevy Equinoxes. But I also think because there were some good deals to get on it back in May. In that, they, uh, when I was looking for cars, I was looking initially at used cars. I was looking at like 20, 2018, 2019 Equinoxes. And out the door price with taxes and everything, fees, they came in, the used ones with 40,000 miles on them out of warranty were only about $4,000 cheaper than the brand new one with zero miles still with full warranty. Now, would I recommend people do that now? Yes, I, I would, except... I would almost tell anybody who's buying a car right now to not buy it and to lease it. And hear me out on this. Eventually, I think car supply will, will meet back up to demand. 
when that happens, I think you're going to see a flood of cars come back on the market as people buy up these new cars. Um, when they buy the new cars, more used cars will come on and, and that should push car prices down. So if you bought a used car at an inflated price today, when those cars come back out, when the supply comes back up to normal in like two, three years, the prices of used car and the car you just bought this year will go way down. It's going to drop like a rock. At least with a lease, if you lease a new car, and again, like I said, the price on a new car, depending on the car, the price on a new car isn't that much different than a three-year-old with 30,000 miles on it. So you pay a little, if you're doing a lease, you can get the car at MSRP for the most part, lease it for three years. After the three years, if that residual value that you would pay at the end to buy out the lease is higher than a used car, just give it back to the dealer. You didn't lose anything. Whereas if you bought the car and you wanted to trade it in and you bought it at a super high price, yeah. In three years, you're still going to be way underwater. In fact, more underwater than you would have normally been. So if you do a lease on a car, you have price protection for the most part. If the price is too high on the residual and you don't want to buy it, you give it back. No harm, no foul. All you really lost, I mean, your monthly payment was going to be a monthly payment regardless. So would you lose your down payment? And that's probably similar too. So at least you give yourself some protection. Now, let's say car prices stay high, though. Let's say they stay high for three years when your lease is up. Well, your residual value may be lower than what you can get the used car for. So you just buy out the car with the residual value that's in your contract. You've got a guarantee of how much you'll pay at the end of that lease if you want to buy the car out. So for me right now, a lease makes a lot of sense. Um just because you give yourself some price protection for the long term when eventually these car pri- these car prices are eventually going to come back down to earth cars boats RVs these are not appreciating assets they never have been it's not real estate where real estate goes up in value cars boats RVs toys whatever they are they oh it's always a depreciating asset always has been probably always will be Take that into consideration when you're buying at these elevated prices. I'm not saying don't buy them or lease. I'm not saying don't do that because some people don't have a choice. But if you're going to do it, um, I would definitely look at leasing a new car versus buying a a newish used car. Obviously, it's not going to hold true if you're looking like a 10-year-old Navigator versus a 3-year-old Navigator. It's a different story. You know, If you're comparing the 3-year-old Navigator to a, a brand new one, you might be better off leasing the new one. If you're looking at a 10-year-old Navigator versus leasing a new one, now you've got a decision to make. The car, the, the used car is still going to be a significant amount less. The problem is, though, you're still going to overpay for it. At least with leasing a new car... You're giving yourself some future protection in case whatever happens in the market, you can just turn it back in. Um, so that's something to consider there. And then for the last topic, 
before I head out, and I'm probably not going to hit an hour. Mike and I were Mike and I were kind of joking about. I was asking, it's like, so do you think I should do the show alone? He's like, can you even talk for an hour? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, I don't know if I can. But so far, so good right now. All right, fantasy football. Let's talk about this. And I know I've been I've been wanting to talk about sports for a while, and unfortunately, just too many other things. Too many of the current events kept popping up, but you know we're in football season now. NFL is about to start up, and I know a lot of people. I don't want to get into politics of it, right? Some people are like, oh, I'm never watching football again. Or look, I get it. Good for you. All right, me, I'm watching. I I I like watching football on Sundays. Personally, I think it should only be Sundays. I think a majority of America could say the Thursday night game is awful, right? We all gotta we gotta work, we gotta whatever it is. I'm not I'm just not ready for football on a Thursday. Never have been. I don't I'm not even sure I like the Monday night game, but the Monday night game's been around a lot longer. For me, Sunday at one or Sunday at four were always just good times to go and watch football. That's you could plan your weekend around it if you wanted to. You know, get your friends over, set up the set up the buffet, whatever. Have people come over. People start rolling in about an hour before game time, especially if you got kids, right? No, we're not tailgating at, at, at seven in the morning for for games. Just not happening. I got kids. I got most times on a Sunday or Saturday, you got games going on for the kids and their sports. But after the game, games are usually done by one, twelve, twelve thirty, one o'clock. Get some. Now you got the feast ready. Friends are coming over, watching the TV, watching the football. Yeah, hopefully uh, everyone's rooting for the same team. If not, you got a couple TVs running with different games on, but whatever. It is. It, it's a very communal time. It's fun for that something to look forward to in, at the end, at the beginning slash end of the week on the weekend. Um, so I'm not I'm not talking about the politics of the game or any of that stuff. If you want to watch, great. If you don't want to watch, great. If you're into fantasy football, this is. Some of the things that I'm kind of pulling out here. Um, and being in the Baltimore area, being a Ravens fan, we we had a glimmer of hope that Julio Jones might come to Baltimore. Now, with how the Ravens passing attack just is it's 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 run first, not pass first. I, I, I think I think Lamar passed the ball just fine. I just don't think they've got they had anyone on the roster for him to really throw to, but we'll get to that later. But Julio Jones, Julio Jones was a possible landing. Uh, was possibly landing in Baltimore. He ended up going to Tennessee, um, which is an interesting dynamic there. Julio's on the latter side of 30 was banged up last year, but for the most part, he's been pretty reliable as far as being in the lineup, at least when he was in Atlanta. Now he's playing opposite on the opposite side of AJ Brown. AJ Brown came on big last two years. Um, some would say he, yeah, he's made Ryan Tannehill look like a, an actual NFL quarterback. Considering, you know, Tannehill in Miami was not stellar at all, but yeah, the coaching situation in Miami wasn't great for him down there anyway. But he's in Tennessee, rejuvenated his career. Um, now he's got two legitimate wideouts on the outside. And, of course, he's got Derrick Henry to keep defenses honest, right? Is it possible 
for Julio to have a thousand yard season with AJ Brown on the other side. And AJ Brown's had 2000 yard seasons in the last two seasons. He is a legit receiver, whether people want to believe it or not, he's a legit receiver. Um, fantasy wise though, I don't really think people are selecting Julio Jones and, and they're certainly not selecting him in the top half of a draft at all. I mean, Julio Jones was a top was, was a, uh, pick that someone made in the top three rounds of fantasy before this year. And that's crazy to think that he's just going to drop off and not provide anything. I, I don't think that's true. I think he's going to end up with probably, I want to say about 800 yards and five touchdowns. Now that's not great. That's not, that's not Julio level, but you got to remember that AJ Brown is there too. Derrick Henry is there too. And Tannehill is still Ryan Tannehill. And, yeah, I think um, I kind of wish Julio would have come to Baltimore because I think that would have helped Lamar. Um, I think that they could have opened up the passing game a little bit more for him. Um, And we'll get to that in a minute. But for me, Julio Jones is, is, you know, if you need a wide receiver two or three, that's Julio right now. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take him any higher than that. Even if he, uh, even if in the first two three games he breaks out for, you know, hundred yards or so, I just don't think it's sustainable because I think AJ Brown's going to get his touches. Um, I think, in fact, I think they might highlight Julio Jones in the first two to three weeks, just to get some of that pressure, that defensive pressure off of AJ Brown. Yeah, basically, it's going to be look. You're going to respect Julio Jones. And when they finally have to roll coverage to Julio Jones, yeah, more than just a single coverage, maybe maybe kind of roll some coverages his way versus just just you know doubling AJ Brown. I think that I, I think the first two three weeks will be good for Julio, and I think they're going to be owners of Julio Jones who are going to try and uh, take advantage of that. They're going to try and maximize his value, and you might see him on the trading block after week two or three. Um, AJ Brown is a legit receiver there, though. So if you drafted him, you're doing all right. Down in Tampa, let's talk about another Florida team. I saw a lot of people, based on ESPN's uh, ESPN uh, fantasy football analysis, that a lot of people are taking uh, Leonard Fournette over Ronald Jones, and I, I find that fascinating to me. Because Ronald Jones is a good running back, and he had a, he had a decent season last year before Fournette came on the scene, and he even he even had some good games after Fournette came on the scene. Um, the Bucks are stacked in the passing game. Obviously, you got Tom Brady throwing the ball, Mike Evans, uh, Godwin, and Antonio Brown. As his three receivers, that's the best receiving core in the game. Um, no one is going to stack the box against the Bucks to stop the run. There's not they, they they can't do it. If they do, they're going to get torched through the air. If it were me, Ronald Jones is a very very solid back. He averages five plus yards per carry. Leonard Fournette, on the other hand, he was okay in Jacksonville. But he wasn't great. He wasn't what 
everyone was expecting him to be when he came at LSU. He just never ended up that way. I'm not saying he's a bad back, but he's. I think Ronald Jones is the better back. I think for fantasy consideration, if you're looking for the the steadier of the two as far as fantasy points are going to go, I think Jones is your guy. Um, I actually don't think Fournette's going to make it the whole season. His injury history just isn't isn't great. Um, do I think they'll split carries? Yeah, I think they'll split carries in the beginning. Um, Bruce Arians and, and Byron Leftwich didn't uh, didn't hesitate to use them both last year. You know, some games, Ronald Jones went off for 100, 200 yards. Other games, Leonard Fournette got more carries, even though he didn't produce as much. So if you're picking a running back in Tampa, if you if you have to pick one, me, I would pick Ronald Jones. That's just me, though. I think he'll have the better season of the two. Um, I think there's going to be running lanes, and I, th- I think Ronald Jones is going to be the one to take advantage of those. I think he's going to score more touchdowns than Fournette. Um, best thing about making predictions, though, is that I'm probably going to be wrong on all these. So take it for what it's worth on those. All right. High draft pick for receivers. There's two, two big boys out there. DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Adams. DeAndre Hopkins out in Arizona, Devontae Adams out in Green Bay. Me personally, if I had to pick one. Now, look, I'm a guy who had Devontae Adams last year. I enjoyed that thoroughly. He did miss a couple games. In fact, he missed quite a few games. And that definitely hurt. I would still go with DeAndre Hopkins as my pick in those first two rounds if you need a receiver. I think Kyler Murray's going to step up. I think he's going to have a heck of a year. In fact, if you need a sleeper quarterback, I mean, not necessarily sleeper. I mean, there's only 30 of them. But if you need a quarterback that you think is going to put up some numbers, I think Kyler Murray's your guy. Um, I know I don't think Larry, Larry Fitzgerald's gone, but I, I think um, DeAndre Hopkins is an amazing receiver. The guy catches everything, right? I think Kyler Murray's got a, a good talent. I think Cliff Kingsbury's offense is going to maximize the the ability of both of them. Devontae Adams, I I think he's a a heck of a talent. I don't think there's a better receiver in the game right now than him. I know last year, though, he had the injury history. And for me, when it comes to injuries, I'm always, if you're coming off a a season in which you had injuries, I'm always a show-me-you-can-last-the-whole-season kind of guy. I want to see you can make it. Before it was what seventeen weeks, sixteen games. Now it's seventeen games, eighteen weeks. That's a, and that's another thing to consider right there. Yeah, there, there's an extra week in this, and they did play three or four preseason games. You're talking about almost a twenty game, twenty one game season. That's a lot of games. Yeah. I know the NFL was thinking about adding an 18th game. So I think they compromised on the 17th. I think if they went to 18 games, I think you would start seeing, I think you would see not necessarily like what they do with pitchers where you only pitch once every five days, right? I mean, I don't think it would be something like that, but I definitely think that you'd see backup quarterbacks getting starts in one or two games a season. Essentially, what you 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 keep your starting quarterback to play sixteen games, and you'd have your backup play the other two, just because in a longer season, 
with more games, you have more room to lose a couple games and still be okay in the playoff hunt. Not saying that you think your backup's going to lose you games, but the other thing is get your backup reps too. Because with more reps for the starters and those extra two, one or two games, um, the backup quarterback's going to become that much more needed. Now, they went to 17 games. They didn't go to 18. So I don't think you'll see that. You're not going to see it on that level. But I think eventually, and you might see something like that in New England. You know, Mac Jones is a rookie quarterback, right? He's not going to be used to 18 games in a season or 17 games in a season. They, They might play Mac for like the first five or six games, and maybe they put in, yeah, maybe they they run their backup out there for a game, you know, or even like, you know, a team, maybe like an Arizona. What if Arizona gets halfway through the season, and yeah, they're out of the playoff hunt at halfway through the season, and they're like, look, Kyler Murray is our is our franchise quarterback. Let's sit him one or two games just to just to keep him fresh. Just to avoid a fatigue-type injury, right, where he's trying to do too much and his legs just don't have it because he's been playing too many games. Yeah, especially some of these older guys, not just for quarterbacks, but some of these older guys, and when I say older, I mean, shoot, I'm in my 40s, but some, for sports age, mid-30s is, is aging, right? What if the Green Bay Packers said, you know what? 17 game season, we're going to play Aaron Rodgers for 14 of these regular season games and we're going to we're going to play Jordan Love the other 3 because we want to save Aaron for the playoffs. And the playoffs are what matter. Regular season, all you all you need to do is get in the playoffs. So what if what if the Packers play Aaron for 14 games and give Jordan Love the other 3? One, you get to see what you have in Jordan Love in an actual game, right? But two, and most importantly, you take the wear and tear, you take you know, 35 to 40 pass attempts per game off of Aaron Rodgers' shoulder. I mean, Dak Prescott down in Dallas just had an issue with his shoulder in training camp. Maybe you play a backup. You know, midseason, I'm not saying you do it at the end of the year. Or maybe, you know, maybe if you've got the playoffs wrapped up at the end of the year, like they like a lot of these clubs do, they play their backup. But how about two other games? Maybe one in the middle of the year, and the other one three quarters of the way through. After you kind of see where everything's sorted out. Now I don't think that'll happen this year. I don't think I don't think teams have the foresight to kind of think like that. And a lot of these, I mean, these are alpha competitors right now. Like, I do like Aaron Rodgers trying to get him to sit out a regular season game. Good luck with that. But might it be the right move? Maybe not this year, but further down the road. Maybe. And you might see some coaches that are a little forward thinking they might do that. Um, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, though, Aaron, the decision to draft a quarterback early, like an Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, I think one of my leagues went in round three. Now, of course, everything is dependent on when there's a run on the position, right? I think in one of my leagues, there was a run on running backs. So running backs went in the first two, three rounds. A big time run on them. Because you don't want to get stuck without one. And there's only maybe 12 that get uh, steady statistics 
per game. So can you wait until the later rounds to pick up a quarterback that's going to do anything for you? And to be honest with you, the question of do you take Aaron Rodgers early or do you take Tom Brady late? Tom Brady, you can get him in like 8th, ninth, 10th round. And you're still probably getting, you're going to get close numbers. Tom is going to throw that ball. Um, I'm not one. Of, I'm not one to think that you know Tom's over the hill. He's in his 40s, so he's gonna his production is gonna go down. And last year he's in his 40s too, and his production was just fine. And I'm not a Tom Brady fan. Look, any Baltimore Ravens fan will tell you that Tom Brady is not their favorite person or player because of all the the playoff games and and regular season games with with uh, Brady in New England. But He's already, he's already shown in his 40s that he his, his play is not going to drop off all that much. In fact, if you look at the second half of last year, when he and Byron Leftwich and Bruce Arians finally all got on the same page, his numbers were quite good. Now, the first half of that season, the familiarity between all three of them were not there. They didn't have a preseason to really get ready. But halfway through that season... Things were starting to mesh over there. Now imagine them starting the season like that. Extra, if you can extrapolate those stats, Tom Brady's stats look pretty good, especially if you're getting him in the 10th round. Just saying. So think about when you're doing your drafts and some of your drafts are still coming up, do you take an Aaron Rodgers in the first couple of rounds, even third, fourth round, if he lasts that long? Or do you wait until the 7, 8, 9, 10 11 round and pick up a Tom Brady or Ryan Tannehill. We talked about him before. He's got legitimate targets to throw to, and he has a big boy back behind him to keep defenses honest. Tannehill could do all right. I mean, I'm not talking like 4,500 yards already, but I'm saying, look, if he throws 3,500 yards, 28 to 30 touchdowns, seven 12, 7 to 12 interceptions. That's not a bad season right there for a guy you can pick up in the 13th, 14th round. Just not that bad. And is the drop-off that much from an Aaron Rodgers that's probably going to throw for 4,200 yards? He'll probably get his 35, to 38, 35 36 touchdowns, and he's going to throw about seven, six, seven picks. It's a tough question to ask. Tough question to answer, right? All right, talked about Kyler Murray. I think he's a sleeper. I also think that someone could probably play this back to me at the end of the year and be like, you don't know what you're talking about. But I think you can, I mean, you can get Kyler Murray in the late rounds of a draft, get him as a backup or what you think is going to be backup. I don't know. I, I think you got the defense that's out in Oakland isn't that great. That's the AFC. I'm trying to think. What's the NFC? You got the Rams. Their defense is generally pretty good. Um, San Fran, eh, defense is all right. And it's Seattle, whose defense is generally good, but look, it's not what it's not the Legion of Boom. So I think he's got opportunities. But it, but that's going to be a tough division, though. I think someone no one's really talking about out there is Matthew Stafford, though. 
People kind of forgot he got traded from Detroit to L.A. Now, I'm not a big fan of L.A.'s wide receiver core, but Sean McVay is definitely on the hot seat. If he can't make that offense work and that team work with Matthew Stafford at the helm, he's gone. He will be fired at the end of this year, guaranteed. I say guaranteed, but again, what do I know? Um, question on the receiver front. Jordan Jefferson came on the scene as one of the baddest receivers on the planet. Just unbelievable talent. And put up great numbers with Kirk Cousins thrown to him. People are high and low on Kirk Cousins. But the guy puts up some decent stats. He's just not consistent from game to game. Um, but the guy no one's kind of remembering is Adam Thielen. To me... So Jefferson Jefferson's probably going to go in the top three rounds of your draft. Maybe the fourth. Thielen, though, he's lasting all the way to the 10th, 11th, 12th round. If he ends up putting up 800 yards and six, five, five to seven touchdowns, that's excellent value for that low round. And personally, I think they're both going to get close to that 1,000-yard mark. I think Jefferson's probably going to get twelve, close to 12, 1,300 yards. But I think Thielen could probably, I think he could end up with 1,000 yards and maybe seven, eight touchdowns. I, I think they're both that good. And I think Cousins is going to throw quite a bit. The defense of Minnesota is kind of eh. Um, which means they might not be playing with a lead all that often. So if, if Kurt's got to throw it around, and they got a good running back with Dalvin Cook, who also gets injured, though. Uh, Irv Smith was the tight end they brought in. He got hurt. So you basically got those two that he has to throw to. And that's, don't get me wrong, two very good options, though. So I think Thielen, I think you can pick him up late. I think you're going to be really happy with what he returns. He could return low wide receiver one numbers, high wide receiver two numbers for a guy you're going to get way late in the draft. Um, running backs. And it pains me to say this, but I think Najee Harris out in Pittsburgh and being a Ravens fan, it's tough for me to tough for me to praise anything out in Pittsburgh, but I think Najee Harris is going to be a legit running back out in Pittsburgh. Um, how everything else is unfolding out there, the young defense, decent defense now. Um, offense, they got some decent young wide receivers there. If Ben can still throw the ball and keep defenses honest. I think that opens up room for Najee Harris. And if the defense can hold hold tough, I think they'll be playing with some leads, which means Najee Harris in that third and fourth quarter is going to get a is going to get some touches. And don't forget the guy can catch. He can he's a decent wide receiver out of the backfield, so he'll be part of the passing game as well. Um so I think Najee Harris is a guy you can pick up middle rounds. I don't think people are really paying attention much, much attention to him. Another running back I'm a big fan of is Josh Jacobs, and I've always last two years I've been a fan of Josh Jacobs. Uh, had a, a little bit of injury issues, not a fan of, of Oakland as a team, um, but Josh Jacobs one catches the ball out of the backfield, and two he runs hard, just runs really hard. Um, very rarely will he will he give you a bad game. Uh, high high floor guy. Not necessarily a high ceiling, but he's got a high floor. Um, 
And for me in running backs, I'd rather know what I'm getting week to week. So I prefer I would prefer a Josh Jacobs over a Najee Harris because I don't know what we're gonna get for Najee Harris right now. Um, but Josh Jacobs, you can get him you know, middle rounds as well. And I think I mean, unless there's a run like there was in my draft when you know, running backs are starting to come off the board real quick. Uh, I think I think Josh Jacobs is a good pickup just in that he's steady, and I think you can get him in the mid to later rounds of a draft. Um, just a, He was a good story out of those first two years, and I think he's going to continue out there in, uh, in Las Vegas. Now, the topic I really wanted to talk about not fantasy football is the Ravens. And if you aren't a fan of the Ravens, you can just turn this part off. It's the last part of the uh, last part of the podcast. So won't be anything after this. You won't miss anything. If you want to turn it off for this one, but as a Ravens fan, what am I seeing for this year? Well, you know, obviously Dobbins went down with an ACL injury. I don't know if that's going to hurt the Ravens as much as people think it will. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Dobbins is a great back. In his first year, he did really, really well. His ability to catch the ball in the backfield was really underused last year. Um, they were said to have been trying to incorporate that more this year. Um, but don't forget, they brought back Gus Edwards. And Gus Edwards, for this running game, is a very good north-south runner. And he's not going to be flashy. He might not bust big runs. But he will be consistent. I think he's probably going to average about four, four and a half yards per carry. Um, you know, Lamar's going to get his runs in. Don't get me wrong, he will. Um, but I, I think Gus, I think Gus Edwards is a good back to have. And they've got Justice Hill coming back as well. I, I don't, I don't think he's. You know, more than just a, your your average run-of-the-mill running back in this league. Uh, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if they pick up some of the running backs still out there. I wouldn't be surprised if they even brought back, if they brought in like an Adrian Peterson who's still kind of out there. Just as someone who can, you know, if he takes a beating or he gets hurt, the Ravens don't care. He's not part of the long-term plan. He's just, but he's someone that's going to be able to get in there and take some of the beating. Because again, don't forget, this is a 17-game season over 18 weeks. You need running backs. Um, so let's say Adrian Peterson comes in and he's serviceable for six weeks and then you bring in someone else. Look, six, if six weeks is all you get at Adrian Peterson, that, Peterson, that's great. That's all you really needed him for in this extended season. It's going to save some of the wear and tear on Gus. Um, it was unfortunate that Rashad Bateman had his setback, but he's due to come back in, in the next couple of weeks as well. Hopefully the injury doesn't set him back mentally, um, even if he's fine physically. All the reports out of the camp that we heard was that Rashad Bateman was the real deal. Kid can run all the routes, great hands, uh, was anticipated to be the number one receiver uh, week one. Uh I think the signing of Sammy Watkins was probably the most ill-advised signing. I think it was that, uh, yeah, that uh, it's it's the Aussie mentality, the Aussie Newsom mentality of look, we can get this veteran at a at a reduced rate, and really temper the expectations on him because of the reduced salary we're going to pay him. 
I think Sammy Watkins was an ex- exemplified that mentality where you know if Sammy Watkins isn't able to play this year, so be it. You know, they were going to have Rashad Bateman and Miles Boykin, or uh, no, uh, it was Miles Boykin, Rashad Bateman, and Marquise Brown. Not in that order. Um, and I, I think it was either Duvernay or Prochet were, were doing well in camp as well. I forgot which one. One of them was just flamed out. The other one was having a good camp. Um, but they're definitely unproven at the position, is what it is. Uh but if they want to develop Lamar as a passer, that's why I thought Julio Jones would have been a great addition, uh, and they should have just paid him whatever, because the impact he would have had on Lamar in the passing game uh, and his future development as a passer would have been f- worth more uh, than the detriment of his high salary, in my opinion. Um, kind of like the effect Steve Smith had on when Joe Flacco was here. Steve Smith elevated Joe Flacco. Uh, Anquan Bolden elevated Joe Flacco. Well, Julio Jones could have elevated Lamar Jackson. And I, I think they missed a really big opportunity there to pick him up. Um, the other... The reason why I think the, the, the Ravens will be alright, though, is because I think the defense is going to be extremely solid. Uh I know that's an understatement for this area. Of course, the the Ravens defense is generally solid. Now, they had a tough time getting the quarterback last year. Um, Wink Martindale has to use a lot of blitz packages to get some pressure on the quarterback. And I mean, part of the reason they brought in Garrett Wolf and, and Calais Campbell was because, or because they were guys that could get after the quarterback. Unfortunately, Calais Campbell is getting up there in age. He's not, he's not the pro bowler he once was. Uh, they try to bring in Yannick Ngakwe, who was just an absolute disaster here. Um, Garrett Wolf, I mean, did he get some pressure on quarterback? Sure, but is he sacking the quarterback a lot now? But I don't think, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I had never really heard much about Garrett Wolf in Denver, and then all of a sudden he came here and people were talking him up. Looked like a decent player, but I mean, he wasn't setting the world on fire in Denver either before he got here. That being said, it is a solid front front four or five guys that they have up there, especially with Brandon Williams. Although Brandon Williams, yeah, it, it, Brandon Williams, Michael Pierce, they needed to have better seasons last year than they did. Um, hopefully every, the health is good there and, and, and they're coming back uh, to their full form. Um, the secondary is probably second to none in this league, though. And that's that's going to give Wink Martindale the opportunity to do a lot of things on on the defensive side as far as blitzing to compensate for the lack of pass rush they're going to have with just their down three or four. Um, but I, I think 11-6 and six and the playoff run isn't unheard of. 12-5 and five could also happen. Um, but I could also see kind of a... a retracting happen where they go like maybe 10 and seven and miss the playoffs or I don't think they'll go under, under 500, but I definitely think there, there could be times when they struggle, which could make, make them miss the playoffs. But I, I think, I think 11 and six and a trip to the playoffs. I think they will come one or two in the division and they'll either get the wild card or they'll, they'll get a bye week out of it. But 
that's where I think they'll end up. Let me know what you think in the comments. Um, let me know what you thought about uh, the, the first solo show we're trying here. Hopefully I want to do it again. Mike will be back next time. Uh, and appreciate you listening. Please like, share, subscribe, comment, rate us if you're on Apple Podcasts. And we will talk to you next time.